Here by the Owl podcast is a podcast for owlets and wise owls alike. Join hosts Nikki Fiddle-Eye-Doll and Brianna Briegel along with rotating owls from across the country as they discuss what it takes to advise from time to time. Our podcast is fueled by the true knowledge from empowering agricultural education instructors and ripen with the wisdom you will never learn in a textbook. Welcome back to another episode of Here by the Owl podcast. We're so excited to be here with my good friend Libby. Um, Libby, why don't you start by introducing yourselves to all our listeners and tell them uh, where you teach and a little bit about uh, your teaching career. Okay, so I'm Libby. Well, I was Libby Sanderson, but I got married this summer. And so now I'm Libby Vaught, but I- I still call you Sanderson. Because- <laughs> Yeah, you can call me whatever you want because I, because of changing uh, names uh, in the middle of school in a pandemic, it's taken me like six months to change my name. And so I finally got my email changed over like last week, but it took me six months to do that. And so now everything's confusing, but it, it's okay. Just call me whatever. But uh, Libby Sanderson or Libby Vaught works good. Um, I teach at Clarksville High School in Clarksville, Arkansas. Uh, we have around 26, 2,700 students, uh, K through 12. Um, uh, if you want to talk about like athletics, I think we're like four or five A, I don't know. So that gives people, you know, some people an idea of, of about how big we are in Arkansas. Um, the town that I live in is, um, let's see, about 9,000, nine to 10,000 people. And um, it's a, it's a pretty cool place. It's very diverse. So I, I am like halfway through my fifth year of teaching. I'm a non-traditional teacher. So I did not start out. I, I never wanted to be a teacher because I, I don't know. I never I really thought I liked kids. This. Um, so for like 12 years before I became an ag teacher, I was a cop. And then I spent about five years as a turkey farmer. So um, <laughs> I, I feel like it's the, the most unique route. Yeah. Well, it was funny because the first year that I started teaching ag, the theme for like national FFA was I'm a teacher by choice, not chance. And I'm like, no, that's not me. <laughs> I'm totally here by, I'm totally here by chance. Like I didn't mean to get here, but I am. And so uh, I, I, um, I didn't set out to be an ag teacher, but it, it found me and I found it and it's working out really good. Um, it's, it's probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me. So I, I'm having a good time. Um, like I said, this is about my, this is, I'm halfway through my fifth year of teaching. And like I said, before that, I was a cop for 12 years. Um, I worked uh, as a DOT cop for a lot of that time. And then when I was going to grad school, I actually worked as like a juvenile probation officer. So I have a lot of experience with kids, not necessarily your best kids, uh, kids that had lots of problems and uh, kids that needed needed help. And so I do have a lot of experience in dealing with all different types of people and all different types of um, students. So I think that, you know, my experience there uh, probably helps me um, with being a teacher. That's so cool. Like, I didn't know all that background with you too. So that's awesome to hear. Um, and we're glad, obviously, that you found Ag Ed eventually. Um, but you kind of mentioned it already. You live in a diverse town. Um, can you kind of give the listeners an idea of what your program looks like and kind of some of the demographics of your students that you teach every day? 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. Actually, when I first started teaching, I, I taught at a school about six miles down the road from where I am right now. And so for my first uh, two years, I taught at a very rural, very small community um, where brought 99.9% .9 of my kids were, uh, were Caucasian kids. Um, <clears throat> low economic, low socioeconomic level. Uh, when I got this job at Clarksville, this is my third year uh, at Clarksville, still same socioeconomic level, but oh wow, are we diverse. Um, we have a large poultry uh, facility in town, uh, Tyson Foods, we have a large processing plant uh, in our town, and then about oh probably 10 miles down the road from us in another town, we have a large turkey uh, production plant through Butterball. So we we are poultry. I mean, there's, there's, it, it's everywhere. Um, whether they work on the farm, whether they work in the plant, um, there's, there's just, there's poultry everywhere. So that's mainly what my uh, community knows. And so uh, with that comes a lot of people from many, many, many different countries, many different backgrounds, many different stories. And of course they have children and their children go to school somewhere. It just so happens most of them come to Clarksville because we're really good at, um, well, we're really good at accommodating those students. Um, so at my school right now, we have students from, let's see, 26 different countries. And we, we have 12 different languages spoken at my high school. Um, so some of those languages, I mean, everybody just assumes Spanish is one of them. Yeah, Spanish, we, we probably 40% of our kids are, well, 40% of my students speak a language other than English when they go home every day. So, and, and it's not all Spanish. About half of that 40% might be Spanish, but you have to remember that just because they speak Spanish doesn't mean that they represent Mexico. I've got kids from uh, El Salvador, Ecuador, Honduras, Brazil, I mean, all over uh, Latin America, Mexico. Um, I have kids from uh, the Marshallese, uh, Marshallese students. I have kids from Thailand, Burma, Myanmar. Um, and then I have a, a huge sect of kids that didn't even have a country. They, well, they're, they're people without a country. So uh, they are from the Karen tribe and it's spelled Karen, uh, K-A-R-E-N. Um, but these kids, are refugees. So their country is in the middle of a civil war and it has been for about the last 60 years. Um, so my students were raised in refugee camps, most of them until, well, it, it depends on, on the students. Some of them came over when they were maybe six years old. Some of them came over maybe in the last three or four years, uh, but they were shipped to the United States uh, to hear their stories is very it's very eye-opening uh, to hear what they've had to say about how they got to the United States. So anyway, I have just a, a hodgepodge of students. And, and of course I have Caucasian students, I have African-American students, I mean, just about anything that you could imagine. Um, and, and that's kind of how it is in the town too. So I have, uh, you know, basically our community is made up of multiple, multiple, um, people from from all different parts of the world and it's it's really pretty cool because we all get along I love that I and I think it's really cool and we're going to share this for those of you listening uh Libby and her chapter were in the FFA New Horizons 
And it was just a really cool look into their program and to see that diversity. Now, don't get me wrong. Every program has diversity. <laughs> my program has diversity too. It's just not what Libby's looks like. <laughs> um, and I think what you're doing there and it, they did a, such a nice job. I felt capturing the uniqueness, Yes. Um, how beautiful your chapter is and just how like when I saw when I read it and I saw the video, I just felt like it was one big family. Um, I would not have known. And I, so that being said, what, what are your strategies? How do you get, um, how do you recruit students into your ag classes, into your FFA chapter from these diverse backgrounds when they're different from your own? Yeah. So with me, it really wasn't that hard because I mean, that's what I have. I mean, that's what's at my school. When you have, um, you know, a, a population of students where you got 49% of them are, are white and then the other 51% is everything else. I mean, you know, you have, you have different students in your, in your, um, in your club and in your classes. So, you know, my thing is, uh, you know, as far as I know with FFA, everybody's welcome. So I've welcomed everyone and, and I want everyone to feel like they're a part of, of my program. Um, recruiting wasn't too hard. My first year there, I got a few stares. <laughs> um, they were surprised that I asked them to join FFA and I said, why not? You know, and they said, well, you know, we don't, we don't know. We don't know what FFA is. And I said, well, FFA is about leadership. You know, FFA is, is about agriculture. And they said, but we don't, we don't do agriculture. And I said, well, you eat, don't you? I said, well, yeah, we eat. And I said, we wear clothes. Yeah, we wear clothes. And I said, and your parents probably work at one of these facilities somehow with agriculture. And they said, yes. And I said, then you're agriculture. And then they understood. Um, so, you know, I, it, it took me, I, you know, the first year, everyone was a little bit apprehensive. Um, they didn't know who this crazy woman was coming into uh, their classroom, uh, welcoming, welcoming them. Um, we, we've had quite a few experiences. It was kind of funny. I, my first year, I took a group of my kids uh, to the Arkansas State Fair. Wow, that was quite a deal. Um, they'd never, never seen um anything quite like that they'd never seen the lights they'd never seen the rides and then we went to look at livestock and what really kind of opened my mind to how they think is I, I had a group of my korean students with me and we went to watch the swine show and so we were watching the kids walk around uh, walking you know walking their hogs uh, through the contest and one of them turned to me and he said miss why do you walk your food around and i had to think for a second and I said, you know, that's a good question. And, and I never thought about it like you would think about it. And he said, why don't you just eat it? And so then I had to think, okay, well, these kids, you know, they've never seen anything like this. So it's, it's a lot, you know, it's, it's the same. I still teach, I teach ag, but I kind of feel like they're, they're so new to it. I mean, they, they understand agriculture, they do, but some of the things that we do are so strange to them that it's it's interesting and it's kind of helped me be a better teacher too because I've had to go look things up and say okay this is why we do this this is why we do this at a contest I still don't have very many of them that want to compete in anything like that because it is so foreign to them they don't under, they still don't understand why we want to walk our food around but um 
but they like to watch and they like to support their friends who do do that. So, you know, it's, it's been, uh, it's kind of full circle. I've, I've learned, I've learned as much from them as they've learned from me. Well, and I think it can be challenging sometimes. And I know National FFA has done a lot to like celebrate diversity in the FFA, but it's hard when you have students who might be, um, you know, they don't speak English as their first language or they have all these diverse backgrounds and they go to FFA events and they don't see FFA members who look like them. Or I mm -hmm. love the New Horizon article they did on your chapter because oftentimes <laughs> you don't see those students in FFA. So it's hard to join something that you don't see yourself in. Mm -hmm. um, so that being said, how do you kind of celebrate that diversity in your program and make sure that the students that you have like feel like they belong in the FFA? Yeah, so I've had several students that were kind of apprehensive, um, you know, whenever we've gone to like state convention or something and, and we've all been walking around and they'll say, miss, why are they staring at us? And I'm like, girl, they're not staring at you. They're staring at me because I look better than Beyonce. They don't even like they're not even looking at you. They're looking at who, you know, they're looking at your ag teacher. Um, it's also good that I have I have groups of them. So, you know, when I recruit one, I don't just recruit one, I recruit six. And so they they feel more comfortable when they have a group of of um, of their own. And I mean, I, I, and I hate to say it like that, but but they they have peer groups, you know. So you know, I might have six Hispanic girls in one group, and I might have six Korean girls in one group, and I might have six Caucasian girls. But when we're all together, you don't know the difference. I mean, we still want to know who took the iPhone charger. We still, you know, take our makeup off before we go to bed. We, you know, there's there's things. They're all teenagers. They're all teenage girls, and we all act the same. Well, I try not to act like that anymore. But I mean, they're all <laughs> they all have boy problems. They all have the same issues that everybody else has. They just look a little bit different. And so um, that's that's been our only issue. The one of the, a, a lot of like the national FFA stuff, like the uniform. Okay, so our FFA official dress. That's been a little awkward for some of my girls. And thank God, you know, they allow us to wear pants because trying to explain pantyhose to a girl that's never been off the island and has never worn anything other than flip-flops is, is a new concept. And she says, you know, why would anybody want to do this? And I said, I don't know, man, just wear pants. Um, trying to find dress shoes to fit people, to fit young ladies who have never worn shoes before other than flip-flops. You know, they lived on an island, a tropical island, so they like, or not an island necessarily, but you know, a tropical place where they wore sandals or flip flops. So their feet are very wide naturally. They've never been forced to be in a shoe. So I've had to go to every Salvation Army in the state looking for, you know, triple wide shoes, um, you know, to, to help fit them. So we've had to kind of adjust some things and, and there's been some, you know, modifications that we've done and, and trying to explain to them certain things, but most of them are very, very um, open to trying new things only because I am open to trying new things too. Um, my kids that come into my class, I make it a point to try to learn their language. Uh, and that's been hard because I can say good morning in about five different languages right now. Um, when my kids come in every morning, I greet them in their native language. I think that that's fair. I think that that's something that they see me trying to, you know, to do that. Um, and and, I feel and it's, like, it doesn't take... Sorry, I feel like you know a lot about your kids. So, you know, do you just take that time out of your class? And how, how do you learn all this? And why do you think it's important 
to take the time to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to know about my kids because I want to know um, they're important to me. I mean, not just, not just my non-English speaking kids, but all of my kids. I mean, I'm, I'm there for them for, for whatever. Um, but, but it is important to me because I'm, I'm curious about things. I'm a, I'm a learner. I like to learn things and I want to know why they're here. I want to know um, what's it, what is it that they want to be when they get older? You know, what, what do they expect out of us? What are, you know, um, what, do, what do they expect to learn in high school? What are their hopes and dreams? Do they want to work in the poultry, you know, industry? Do they want to do these things? And a lot of them, they don't know, they either don't know, or they feel like they're kind of beholden to do that. Like they, they feel like their parents worked at these poultry processing plants and that's where they're going to have to work too. So, you know, we talk about different options and things that, um, that they can do. And yeah, I know all of my students, not just, not just my English language learners, but, but all of them, because I kind of feel like as a, as a teacher, that's part of my job too, is mentoring them and making sure that, you know, they're on the right track and making sure that they, uh, they know what they're going to do or have a place to go when they leave me. Cause that's part of my job. I feel like. And now, like you said, you, you've learned many of their languages and you're trying, and I'm sure as you're learning them, <laughs> you've, you've messed up a few times, but oh, <laughs> I mean, I can imagine like them coming in and you're like, this is it. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say good morning to them in their language. And I can imagine like them snicker because they're like, she didn't get it. But for oh, them, yeah. you're try like you're trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they totally get that. Like they, they know I'm trying and they appreciate that. They try when I try. So if I'm trying to learn their language, they put forth a little more effort for me too because they know I'm trying and they know you know and they know I mess up and it's funny and I don't mind that they laugh at me because there's going to be times where people laugh at them too some of my kids have names that are so to us as English speakers if they heard that name they would go you know they would laugh like haha that's you know a funny name um but what's interesting to me is like and, and I've learned my kids like uh their names all mean something my Asian kids, their names mean something. It's, it's really interesting, like uh, flower gold or, you know, uh, paw in Karen means flower. And so a lot of my girls have paw in their name somehow or um, uh, two, H-T-O-O -O is one of the last names. It means gold. And so a lot of my male students have that last name because their parents feel that that's lucky, you know, to have gold in their name. The other thing that we deal with um, that is completely different is religions because I have, oh my goodness, we have, let's see, we had a, a Christmas parade last night. So we had, well, I was raised Presbyterian. I was with um, my Hispanic Catholic, two Buddhists. Um, <laughs> We tried to get the Seventh-day Adventist, but she couldn't get there because the sun hadn't gone down yet. So she had to wait until Sabbath was over. So we have such a, oh my gosh, such a mishmash of, of that also. And it's really kind of, it's really cool because we've learned a lot from, from everybody. And that's one of the rules that I have in, and it's, it's unspoken. I mean, I don't even have to tell anybody, but if you're gonna be in my FFA chapter, we're very accepting of everybody. 
we learn from everybody everybody gets along and if you can't get along you're just not going to be part of my group but so far i've not had any issues because everybody wants to be part of my group and so they get along you've got kids that um you know um lgbtq i mean uh we <laughs> i don't ask um they don't tell but uh it you know I, I know that i have some kids that are um that think differently than i do but we're very accepting of everyone and we love everyone because we are a family and that's how we look at it yeah i love that i i have two well i have two things sorry brand <laughs> because i just thought of this as you're talking um first off do you make it a point to learn and say all of their names absolutely yeah just like you would in your class I mean you don't have any kids that you go hey you I mean oh yeah it, it takes a while yeah. it takes a while for instance in in one class I may have um etu satu patu um I mean I have I have a lot of the kids with the same name and that's difficult um because in in the Asian culture that they're in, they don't change their surname when they get married and they don't take their parents' surname. So <laughs> I don't know who's related to who. And uh, so th that is challenging sometimes. I had two kids that were sitting next to each other and they fought all the time. And I thought that they were boyfriend and girlfriend, but they were brother and sister. <laughs> and so um, it, they didn't have the same name but that's just not how they roll there. They don't, they don't keep the same name. They don't have the same name as their parents. Their parents name them after, um, you know, they, they name them whatever. One of my favorites was uh, one of my, one of my first students that I had when I moved there, everybody would tell me what their name meant, except this one girl. And I'm like, what does your name mean? And she, she would never, she just, she was embarrassed. And it's cause all the other girls had a name like, um, happy sunshine or flower gold or something and she finally one day she came to me after class and she said miss I don't I don't tell you my name because it's embarrassing and I said well what does it mean and she said it means sleepy hungry <laughs> and I told her I said you could probably be my daughter <laughs> I would have named you that too and I, I said that could probably be my name but my thing is like humor I mean my kids they laugh at me uh and I want them to be able to laugh at me because it it makes it easier for them if they see that things aren't that big of a deal and that we can laugh about some things it just it eases a lot of tensions and they don't have as much to worry about my other thing is is so how does your school celebrate all the diversity you mentioned you had a, a christmas thing you know i know with diversity inclusion people are always looking mm -hmm. for ways to be inclusive um you know to all of their kids how how does your school, is there certain activities or like some fun events that they, that they host um, to celebrate all your kids? So we have a really good um, English language learner program at my school because we have so many different languages that are spoken. Um, we let the parents come in and volunteer um, to help at the school. Our, we have a lot of great parental involvement um, with our non-English speaking families. It, it is really good. It's a great program. Um, so specifically, what does my school do? Not much as far as 
high school related. Okay. I mean, we still have homecoming. We still do all the same things and all those kids are invited, but we do open up the school. Like I know that they've allowed them to use our gym for what they call Corinne new year. So they have, uh, they have a thing every year um, where the, the Corinne students come in and they have a big new year's celebration. It's right around Christmas. It's not the same new year that we have, but that's a big deal. Um, my thing is, my students trust me and love me enough that they invite me to certain things in the community and I go when they invite me. So uh, one of my girls uh, asked me to come to a party and I'm like, yeah, I'm always in for a party. So <laughs> I got there and uh, it was at her house and there were like 80 people. And so this is, of course, this is pre-COVID. Uh, there were like 80 people in her house um, all sitting on the floor. Um, and then there was a love seat. And they had brought that in specifically for my husband and me um, to come in. And uh, it was her birthday party, but it was a really beautiful worship ceremony that they had. And it, um, I don't know, it was it was really neat. It was just, a, it was three hours of a lot of prayer, a lot of song, um, and a whole bunch of food. I mean, a whole lot of food. And uh, it was really, really cool. So then they have a, they have a traditional dance that they do. Um, which is really neat because they do a lot to preserve their culture here. Um, and I, I think that that's beautiful. I have some kids that are in their dance group and they, they do that. They also have a thing called the wrist tying ceremony where they uh, come in and they, they tie some uh, strings on their wrist and it symbolizes certain things. So, I mean, there's uh, the Hispanic community, of course, they have the quinceaneras and stuff and we get invited to that. And um I, I go to anything they ask me to go to, because to me, if it's important enough for them to ask their teacher to come, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I don't make it a point to, to go. I go to their soccer games. I go to volleyball games. I go to whatever they do, just because, I mean, as a teacher, I feel like they're my kids too. You know, I see them more than I do my own kid most of the time. <laughs> so um, I'm just, I'm there for them because I, I love them. They're good kids. That's awesome. I just think even just knowing like when, you know, cause we celebrate Christmas, right. The I would say the majority of my students anyways, celebrate Christmas. So like having a point of like knowing when their different holidays are knowing that, oh, they're gone for, for this holiday or this event that they celebrate with their family that we might not think of. Uh -huh. We had Thanksgiving, you know, a few weeks ago and it was kind of funny because we had a big Thanksgiving dinner at school and um, I had like two of the Asian kids brought in a Thanksgiving lunch, you know, and, and it was funny because they were like, miss, the only reason we got this is because of the extra cranberry sauce. Cause we know you like it. <laughs> and then, and then they broke out their rice pots and, <laughs> and ate their rice in my room. So yeah, they're, they're pretty awesome. Good kids. And so kind of thinking about that too, like, do you ever do, I don't know if you teach any food science classes or food science in your class, but do you try to incorporate some of their traditional dishes into teaching also? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, um, I have eaten their food and, it, it, and most of it is delicious. Um, I do not teach food science. Um, they've kind of creeped me out a couple of times on some things that they've brought to school. And, uh, and we've talked about that. Like it's not okay to cook a raccoon in my microwave. Um, and they're, they're aware of that now. So we don't, <laughs> we don't do that anymore. So, um, but one thing that I did learn from them was like, it is one of the most important things that I teach my kids is hunter education because 
they um they're in their refugee camps that's how they ate they had to hunt so these kids are hunters i mean they know how to, most of them hunt with slingshots i mean it's it is very uh, very primitive um so i have taken it upon myself to try to teach them the laws of hunting because that's something that they didn't know when they got here and there were a lot of their parents and older brothers and sisters got in trouble for breaking the laws when they hunt so you know we have to tell them like it's not okay to kill three bears and put them in the trunk of your car and drive them to school you know we don't do that that's <laughs> that's not okay um but you know it and it makes me happy though because um i'll ask them it's like okay who's gonna go hunting this weekend and they'll say oh miss we we can't go hunting this weekend squirrel having baby you know we we're gonna let the squirrels rest for a while where they have babies and we know better you know we're gonna let them rest so you know that that was a big thing for me is is knowing that okay i got that across to them um also boater education um that that's a big thing too because a lot of them live off fish so they love to fish uh, most of them are not familiar with our boats and our boating laws and so that's that's been a big help too. And that, that makes me feel good that they, uh, that, that they are interested in, in learning that. So what are some, some tips and tricks that you have for other teachers listening uh, about communicating with students and parents uh, who do not speak <laughs> English as their first language? Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so um, tips and tricks. The Karen language that my kids speak, um, there are actually several Karen languages. Um, the one that they speak is Saga Karen, which is not even in Google Translate at all. So uh, we actually hired a li liaison that that was bilingual, and and I use her occasionally. I try not to I try not to use her too much because we you know she's she's overworked. Usually I can find somebody in my class that is bilingual and that's my go-to person so i will say hey will you sit with you know so and so um or you know would you mind doing this and they are all very gracious and and happy to help um the other thing like as far as communicating um parent teacher conferences i they all come to parent teacher conferences most of the time and what's interesting is like in our culture where the the mothers are usually the ones that show up for conference and do all this for them it's the father the dad is the one that's more the caregiver when i'm when i'm driving the bus in the morning or when i'm going to school it's the fathers that are standing outside holding the kid's hand waiting for him to get on the bus it's, it's really it's really pretty cool um so i usually find one student who i trust um to be my interpreter and i will have them speak to the parents and um because I would say probably maybe five, well, not even 5%, hardly any of the parents speak English at all. So you have to find that one or two kids that you really, really trust. And you have to say, look, I need you at parent-teacher conference. And they, they will almost always do that. And um, so, you know, that's that's my advice on that. I, it is really hard for me to communicate with them. One of the biggest things I can say is if you are teaching um, and you use any kind of video turn on the closed captioning my kids read better than they speak and they read better than they than they hear um, they can connect the two so any video that I show I always have closed captioning I always have extra notes and I always seat, seat them next to somebody that that speaks their language also and I will plug um, 
the case curriculum. I teach that. Um, teach natural resources and ecology. I'm teaching animal science this year. I've taught AFNR. Um, I'm certified in APT, but I'm not currently teaching that. It is awesome for any kids that don't speak English, not because it can be translated, but because it's so hands-on um, and it, it's easy for them to follow and it's step-by-step. Step. It has made, it's made my life really easy um, as, as far as trying to te teach that group of kids or those groups of, of kids. So kind of the same idea, but like for modifications, like you said, you don't have a lot of students that compete in FFA events, but how do you kind of make FFA events accessible for your students who do speak different languages? So, I mean, they're available. They're available for every one of them. Um, but it's, it's such a cultural, such a cultural difference. I, this year, let's see, my secretary and my treasurer are both uh, English language learners. They both love FFA because they've had fun in everything that we've done with FFA. Um, and, and that's what they're interested in. They're interested in the leadership part. As far as leadership events, it's, it's so strange because they don't understand the concept of competing in something like that. They just don't, they don't get it. So I don't force it on them. Um, they're there to help me. They're there to watch. They're there to learn. Um, you know, maybe a, a few generations down the road or several years down the road, I may have more kids that want to do that. But right now, that's just such a such a foreign thing to them. Now, I do have some that are interested in possibly showing rabbits next year because I told them, you know, we can do um, they can show rabbits and then they can eat them. And so they were excited about that. They were like, you know, because they know that there's a there's a purpose in that. So, um, but the actual uh, leadership development events, extemporaneous speaking would be very difficult for them. Okay. And th there's a lot of like hiccups and stuff that people, I, I don't know, I guess I kind of took it for granted too. My kids, they may understand the, the concept of like photosynthesis. They can explain it to you because they've learned it, but they don't know what a saltine cracker is. So I spend more time explaining to them like the difference between a saltine cracker and a Ritz cracker. We had some uh, case activity in, in animal science where we were like trying to evaluate, you know, um, livestock or something. And so it was like all these different crackers and they were like, I've never seen this. I don't know how to tell you if one is better than the other. You know, I, I wouldn't eat this anyway. This is not, you know, this is not what I eat. And so that part of it, when when you think about okay well that's not even in their mind like they don't even understand that i i don't force them to compete in anything and i don't force them to try to learn because they're still on such a such a uh elementary level of learning about this part of it that i i think that sometimes it might be too much now it is open to any of them if they want to be part of it i'm game you know and i encourage them to try to um take the FFA creed and translate it into their language because the only translation that I know of right now is Spanish. So I have a few kids that have tried, you know, to translate it into their native language. And of course I wouldn't know if they got it right or not. Yeah, but it's really cool to hear. I bet it's really cool to hear them though. Yeah, it um, is. Oh, it totally is. Yeah. It's, but it really, to me, I, I kind of have to look past the language stuff 
because if I focus on how different they are, I miss how similar they are, if that makes any sense. Like, they're just teenage girls, teenage boys. They still have girl problems. They still have boy problems. They still have to figure out what they want to be when they grow up. They still have to help with chores around the house. They still, you know, it's it's all the same stuff. It's just we sound a little bit different. Yeah. So, you know, I the closed captioning thing is a good tip. That's something I think I would take for granted. And it's such a simple thing that anybody can easily do. Mm-hmm. Um, a video. I loved how, um, you know, earlier you mentioned like learning their language to say hello um, and learning their names and trying and it, it takes time. But I think in communicating just for them to hear their own name is so powerful. So mm-hmm. when you're when you're planning curriculum or like you said, you're a case teacher, are, are there modifications that you, you make sometimes um, to, to include some of their backgrounds? Are, are, there, are there projects or open-ended inquiry type activities that you allow them to kind of bring in uh, what they know and love in their culture to your classroom? Absolutely. So, you know, I have kids, uh, one of my uh, aeroponic garden towers that we have, um, one of my, or two of my kids last year wanted to do uh, their SAE on growing long beans, because that's something that they grew in Thailand when they were in the refugee camp, and they wanted to know if they could grow them, grow them here. Um, They've also had several do SAEs on traditional Karen gardens, and we're actually starting uh, one of our activities and our program of activities this year is we're getting all of the different communities and all the different cultures together, and everybody's going to have their own community garden at our school. So we'll be able to see the differences in in the way that they grow their food, and it is amazing. Like they, (laughs) some of the gardens that I've seen, because my kids would call me in the summer and say, Miss, Miss, you remember I told you I plant this and I'm like, yeah, he's like, come by and see. So I'll go out there and oh my gosh, still have gourds all over the place or, you know, whatever it is that they eat and, and they eat some different things, things that we wouldn't necessarily eat like gourds. <laughs> I mean, I, I've never eaten a gourd, but they, they eat them. So that's cool. Um, deer, if you kill a deer, they want all of it, the whole thing. Like they will eat guts and all. They, they don't want you to get it. They will, they make soup out of that. So it's, it's, uh, it's totally different. As far as modifications go, what, one thing I do is like, I, I try to look at it at an assessment. So if they give me an assessment and I, and I'm reading through there and I know, can usually tell by looking at a kid, you know, if they're participating in class, I know that they probably understand what they're doing, but maybe they're having an issue with writing it in English. So I take a lot of verbal answers. So if I'm looking at a test and I know that they're trying, but I know, and I know that they understood that during the lab, all I'll have them do is come up to my desk and I'll just ask them, you know, I'll ask them the question and they can give me a verbal response. And I do that quite a bit. Um, I do it with my English speakers too. Uh, my, uh, you know, my kids with IEP, sometimes they understand the con, they understand the concept, but maybe they don't write it very well. Well, I, I need them to understand it. I, I need them to learn how to write it too, but it's more important to me that they understand the whole concept. Um, but so I, I do take verbal answers and I always just write that, you know, the answer was given to me verbally and it was acceptable and I'm, I'm cool with that. And we'll worry about writing later. But my main thing is that you understand what we're doing. I just did that with a few of my kids last week. They kept, they were stuck on something on a shop safety test. I'm like, tell me what the safe way 
to do this is and they would tell it to me yeah. like yes but now look at your paper but then right. reading it and telling me like there's a disconnect because on paper they were getting it wrong but when they were telling me I'm like you're telling me right but that's not what you got it's not what you got done right. on paper so yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's such my a first year of teaching ag mechanics with these kids was crazy because I kept saying, you know, three feet. Well, they were looking at their feet and they were like, Patu's feet or Etu's feet. And I said, no, feet, like right. the 12 inches measure. feet. And or you can say something that we take it for granted. I'll say a, a quarter of an inch. Well, they're thinking of a quarter, a real quarter, like a coin they don't understand a quarter is one fourth that's so many things that they have to think about and so i have to be very careful um, about the things that i say because what may be really common for me and you for them it is it it's it means a totally different thing and i have to remember some of them have only been speaking english for a year two years wow. and to to come from a language i I will try to send you a, a link to maybe their their language but it's it's a bunch of squiggle lines and dots that's all they've ever known they went to a school with a dirt floor and no walls um you know and had to walk several miles to the school every day and they were always in danger of getting attacked by the burmese army i mean it's it's a crazy different totally different world so i have to remember that and that's that's you know part of knowing my students and knowing where they've been and where they've come from I'm not going to count off because they spelled something wrong right now. You know, that's that's between them and their English teacher right now. My thing is I need to know that they understand what we're talking about in my class. And and for the most part, they do. And if they don't, then we explain it again until they do. But for the most part, most of my kids, agriculture is an easy concept to understand. It, it's it's the same all over the world. We're a little bit different, but we all have to eat. We all have to wear clothes. You know, we all need things. And it's all agriculture. So they understand that. Yeah. I'm excited to see this garden. I, when it gets going, you're going to have to give us like a virtual tour because yeah. I think it'd be fabulous to like even have markers around the garden to kind of showcase like the style of gardening um, and just to compare the different techniques. Um, I think that's... Well, I can tell you probably 90% of every garden is going to be hot peppers. Because oh, yeah. even my, my Hispanic students, my yeah. Thai students, my Burmese students, like, I, I don't know, man, they eat some hot stuff. I can't, I, I can't yeah. hang with that. But yeah, they, <laughs> they, uh, they try to out pepper each other all the time, and everything they eat. So probably lots of hot peppers. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to see it too. I've, I've been to several gardens that my, my kids have started this last year. And they're, they're pretty intense. I mean, they're, they're big take up the whole backyard. Yeah. That's cool. Well, for those of you listening, we'll have the New Horizons and the teaching guide. Um, so you can have your your students learn about Libby's program. Um, and I just think the diversity you have is is beautiful and unique. And I, I love I love how you celebrate your kids and their backgrounds and how you celebrate them as a family and your program. I think that's super cool. Um, you're you're gonna get to see lots of photos of and, and they did a video too, right? Yeah. yeah 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 yeah. they did the video i love the video showcasing all the hands-on work that you do in the classroom and um and i don't know just brings them all together i think that's what it's all yeah about. what one of the things that i'm really proud of though is like some of my students so one of the ones that was actually uh featured in that film that they did he's actually an ag ed major now oh, um, i've had a, i've had a couple cool. of yeah 
I've had several yeah. students that have left me to, to made either major in agriculture or ag ed um, just because, you know, they say that I, I was able to, uh, you know, that they want my job. <laughs> and I, I think that's great. I think that's awesome. That's cool. um, it's, it's flattering for me. But um, you know, I encourage them to go to work as bankers or go to work. You know, I said, look, you guys are in the community. Your people need people in banking. You need people in real estate. You need people that sell cars. You need people in insurance. I said, so pick something that you'd be proud to do. And I said, and then, and then come help your people. Come help your community. I said, you know, not just your people, but all people. But I said, it's nice to have somebody um, that, that they can trust. And so I've got kids kind of, I kind of help uh, point them in the right direction. And then I also, I've, I've taken them on college tours before uh, to Arkansas Tech or, you know, to introduce them to people and try to get their foot in the door um, and make sure that they're on the right path. Because I don't want them to feel like the poultry processing plants are the only place for them. Because I have a lot of children that are very, very intelligent. They just don't know what to do. Yeah, I so think that's it's, any it's part of my job to push them, you know. Yeah. yeah, that's that's any kid. It's I mean, it's fun to figure out what their passions are and open open their minds to possibilities that they didn't didn't even know existed. So I think that's pretty, pretty powerful. Um, but there's so many good tips in here uh, that I hope you guys listening take away from Libby and uh, feel free uh, to access the folder and check out the new horizons and the teaching guide because it's it's such a fabulous um look into her program uh and you know celebrate her and her kids as well uh there's so many resources ffa has on the on their website for diversity inclusion and we encourage you to look uh look at those resources uh, many of which um, can be a foundation for you in diversity inclusion in your program um, Libby, thanks for being here with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. And again, you know, if anybody needs anything, um, has any questions, they're welcome to contact me at my email address. Um, we've also got a Clarksville FFA Facebook page that we try to keep updated. So if, if people want to follow us and, and, you know, look at some of the things that we're doing. And, and if they ever need a buddy for somebody, uh, maybe a kid that doesn't feel like they belong, chances are I probably have, <laughs> I have a match for them in my program and, and would be happy to set up some sort of a program where maybe they, you know, mentor each other. And uh, so, and, and my kids would be more than happy to do that. I love that. Libby, where can they uh, get in touch with you? Great. Um, at, let's see, elizabeth.vot. So it's E-L-I-Z-A-B-E-T-H dot V-A-U-G-H-T at C-S-D-A-R dot org. Awesome. Uh, those listening, uh, thanks for being here with us today. Make sure you like Here by the Owl podcast on Facebook and Instagram and check out our resource folder uh, for the great resources shared by Libby.